There were three ordinary women on what seemed like a simple mission to find a film they liked. One where women got something to do and not just look pretty or be murdered. Which, to be totally honest, has complicated matters a bit. Welcome to Flicking. Yes, it sounds a bit rude. That's the joke. Hello and welcome to this month's Flicking, our monthly take on a favourite film. I am joined this month by Yosra Osman. Hey, Yosra. Hello. You're in a scarf. The weather's turned, hasn't it? It has. It's got chilly and I've just got jumpers galore. And I am also joined by our Jen Offord. Hello, Jen. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I, I peaked too soon there. It's all right. I'm, I'm going to say that as excitement because it is, in fact, your pick this month. So tell us what you had Yosra and I watching and why you love it. Right. I picked Romeo and Juliet, as in the 1996 Baz Luhrmann adaptation of the Shakespearean tragedy about the titular star-crossed lovers. I think its full title is actually William Shakespeare's Romeo plus sign Juliet. Uh, the plus sign sort of tells you everything you need to know about this film, but, you know, <laughs> we'll crack on. So, I, I mean, we all know the story, but just in case you don't, Romeo's a Montague, Juliet's a Capulet, the two families have major beef with each other, but their kids fall in love after meeting for approximately four minutes, and that <laughs> is troublesome. Spoiler alert... Some avoidable and unnecessary death ensues. So, in this 1996 adaptation for the big screen, Baz Luhrmann reimagines the warring families as sort of gangs, I guess, set in the fictional Verona Beach, which I imagine is supposed to be Miami or thereabouts, but confusingly has its very own Cristo Redentor statue, which is obviously not from anywhere near there, it's from Brazil, but, you know, there we go. Um, the Montagues are sort of hipster surf dudes, and the Capulets are terrifying and extremely snappily dressed Latinos. The cast is pretty incredible. It's headed up by Leonardo DiCaprio as Romeo and Claire Danes as Juliet, but also including, I am really going to struggle here, John Le- Leguizamo? How would you say that? Leguizamo? Leguizamo. Leguizamo? John. 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 He plays Tybalt. Paul Rudd is Paris. Paul Sorvino is Big Daddy Capulet. That's his official name, rather, official title. Miriam Margolis is the nurse. Pete Postlethwaite is Friar Lawrence. And Harold Perrineau is Mercutio. And I could go on, but I don't have time. Leonardo DiCaprio was always going to be Romeo, but Kate Winslet, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Natalie Portman, to name but three, were all in the frame as potential Juliets. We can talk a bit in a minute about whether or not you think that was the right choice. I do. Anyway, the main point here was bringing the play into the modern day, but also the kind of bold, bright imagery of the visuals, which if you were to take a critical view, and some do, including Mickey Noonan, by the sounds of it, of Lerman's work, a little bit too much like a music video. Also notable is the soundtrack, which I have no doubt we will talk about in a minute, and features the likes of Radiohead, the Cardigans, the Wannadies. It is just, it's just fucking zeitgeist, isn't it? It's like, such a soundtrack. banging soundtrack. I own both it the really film is. and the soundtrack. Like, you can't actually really talk about the appeal of the film without talking about the soundtrack, but we'll come back to it anyway. It was a commercial success, grossing over 151 million from a budget of. 14.5 million which I thought was surprisingly low um, the budget that is I guess it's 
25 years old but yeah I, I agree with you it's given how fucking flash it is yeah and how really big the is. cast is because there's a lot of extras involved in the party scenes and stuff critically speaking it did okay Lerman won a BAFTA for best direction and Lerman and Mary Hale also won a BAFTA for best adapted screenplay it also picks up the awards for best film music and best production design and also, the BFI subsequently listed it as one of 40 films to watch before you're 14. I actually thought this film was a 15. I think it's a 12. It's it a might 12. be a 12. A little so, bit of violence in it. Just a yeah, bit. Yeah, there is a bit. <laughs> Quite a lot of toxic masculinity. Well, we'll come on to that. So some critics weren't happy with it and thought it besmirched uh, Billy Bob Shakespeare. Though that was sort of, in a way, Lerman's intention... Not really, but I'll sort of clarify what I mean by that in a second. Roger Ebert said it was, and I quote, a mess, and that he didn't really buy that it was a fresh new take on Shakespeare, because what about West Side Story, eh? <laughs> Made in the 60s. So, yeah, I mean, why would you need another one 30-odd years later? Come on. I did I did sort of think a little bit when I was watching this, oh, I kind of wish I'd picked West Side Story as well. Not because I don't like this, but anyway, I just fucking love West Side Story and I'd complete them completely remake coming soon there is isn't there anyway sorry stay on point so (laughs) it it didn't matter what roger ebert thought because us horny teenagers didn't care now i watched this film at the odeon in colchester and i remember the irony of it although apparently i might be misremembering this given what we've just said about the station of it because i kind of have this vague memory of lying about my age on the train to get cheaper tickets like as in pretending i was a child and then lying that I was older to get into the film. Maybe I'm remembering a different trip to the Colchester Odeon. There were a few. I loved this film, and I considered it to be a favourite for many years. On another watch, I wouldn't say I necessarily feel the same, but I did enjoy watching it, and I can see why it was a big deal. Shakespeare for the youths, in it? And that is basically what Lerman said he was trying to achieve. This is basically a play about horny teenagers, so why not make something that actually appealed to them? He said he was, and I quote, trying to smash what I call Club Shakespeare. This 26-year-old writer wrote this fantastic play so that everyone could understand it. And it spoke to us. And teachers were pretty happy about that as well in that respect, except my own drama teacher, Mrs Bolton, who lamented the use of a gun at the end envisaging thousands of marked down GCSE papers. (laughs) Apparently kids did only watch the film. Because you would, wouldn't you? Um, So, I probably would have. Anyway, but I didn't actually study Romeo and Juliet at school. I think I really loved it because it was so 90s, it was so cool, it was so, like, it was like Leonardo DiCaprio at the apex of his kind of, his youthful kind of hotness. Very pretty, wasn't he? He was so pretty. And... I think, it, you know, it is a film about, like, love and yearning and whatever. And obviously that's, you know, very much the teenage experience. And so, yeah, it did speak to me as a teenager. I'd never studied this play at school. I'd never read it, you know, off, off my own steam because why the fuck would you? It wasn't anything really to do with that. I probably barely understood the words, to be honest, because I was not really down with, with Shakespeare in my teens so I've got a few sort of specific points that I wanted to pick up on having watched it again now things that stood out to me now that did not when I was younger but you've obviously both watched it how did you feel about it when you first watched it starting with you yours well 
I first watched it at school, I did do Shakespeare at school and everything you just said is on point in terms of I bloody loved this film when I was at school. I felt so cool watching it. Everyone in my class, you know, all the girls really fancied Leonardo DiCaprio. The music was banging, like everything was just amazing. Zeitgeist. It, yeah, exactly. And it, it kind of almost has its own cult following this film. And I still, I still hold it quite dear to my heart because... I'm all right with Shakespeare, but this really brought to life Romeo and Juliet for me at the time when I was at school. And I actually think Baz Luhrmann does a good job of translating the meaning of Shakespeare's words with just all the exaggerated exuberance that is flashing all over the screen. Mm -hmm. And I have a theory about this film. In the first 20 minutes, you you either completely love it or you completely hate it because it starts with that huge operatic music and this frenetic energy with like just everything in the first 20 minutes you are talking about smashing Shakespeare I mean Blurman just picks up a club and just here we go bashes the text immediately from the get-go so I still hold it quite dear there are things that I'm sure we're going to come on to that I was watching it again um this morning actually before before we recorded and I think oh yeah, there's a lot of toxicity here. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. So, Why is I everyone mean, so I, angry? <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a lot of pent-up masculine rage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's way more visible now than it was when I was 12, 13, I think, when I first watched this. So it's one of those that I still hold it quite dear because of the memories I have watching it at school. But yeah, completely different lens now sometimes it's a bit like when we watched boys in the hood for rated or dated it's the pointlessness of that Mm. masculine rage and the killing and the deaths all are punished all are punished scream it once more for effect (laughs) yeah classic shakespeare i was a bit older than both of you when i saw it because it came out my first year at university so i'd have been 19 and i think went to the cinema to see it and was utterly blown away because it is it's an assault on the senses isn't it it's mm. so visual when obviously Shakespeare which I studied and studied at university as well is words what I think is really interesting and still stands up today is for all the people who criticised it for being an extended MTV video which it was but we are the MTV generation which is probably mm. why it appeals to us is that, you know, oh, but he smashed up Shakespeare and he got rid of all the text and there's loads of stuff that's just really clunky and, you know, they're kind of right. that If you're studying Shakespeare, it's a really good way to get kids into it, but then they need to read the text as well as opposed to just go from the film. But at the same time, Shakespeare was renowned for taking classic texts and making them modern in his day. So I kind of think that maybe he would enjoy that Lerman took a sledgehammer to Romeo and Juliet and parceled it together to make it entertaining for the youth of of this day, well, of the 90s. As it stands, it it really achieved that. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. There were more things, I think, that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. But I've seen it quite a lot because I had it on DVD and indeed watched it on my DVD player because I am still old school enough to own a DVD player. Yeah, I've got it on DVD, but as I told Mickey in the week, I don't have a DVD player, so I had to rent it. We've all picked up on it, and it is so glaringly obvious when you watch it now. I wanted to talk about the toxic masculinity. Wowzers. But also, and I thought about this more today, and I wondered if this is like a fair criticism because Shakespeare was a man. The director of this film was a man. It was adapted by a man, but it is so, so, so about the male experience isn't it 
Yes, totally. Like Romeo gets this huge introduction when he's first on screen. He gets lots of words to say. Leo DiCaprio is saying all of this stuff. He's lovelorn. He's like sad and depressed because Rosalind doesn't love him, maybe, or does she? We don't know. And obviously they are Shakespeare's words, but it's really telling that when Baz Luhrmann introduces us to Juliet, she says pretty much fuck all. The first time Claire Danes is on screen, she looks very pretty and she does a lot of gazing and looks young and kind of vulnerable. And then she agrees to do as she's told. That's all we get from Juliet. She doesn't get much to say. And most of the big characters, the huge characters in this are blokes. Yeah, the only female characters that really stand out, obviously, I mean, it is is such a patriarchal environment. The Mm. mothers barely say anything other than to just go along with the fathers. And um, then you've got uh, Miriam Margul's character, the nurse, who's kind of there for comedic effect and is made to look quite ridiculous at points. She's great, though. But she's brilliant in the role. I know, no, I know. I absolutely love her in the role. I mean, there's just not much else there in terms of female representation or even Claire Danes, like you say. She is... The subject of Romeo's mm-hmm. she, she's Romeo's love interest essentially and it, there's not much the other way around and I think sometimes you know I think the masculinity of it is is ridiculed I mean I do think it is quite clear when you're watching these kind of the, the Capulets and the Montagues fighting each other that I mean it is just ridiculous like and there's a lot of exaggerated movement and exaggerated you know screaming out different words and stuff so I feel like he does try to ridicule it but it's still so prominently masculine when you're watching that I'm yeah. I'm still not sure how to feel about it. I mean, I love this film. I've seen it so many times, but it's just I don't know. I try to balance that. It, it, <laughs> like the bits where the, all the um, all the Montague boys are hanging out, and it's so like lads, lads, lads. They're awful. It's, it's, it's like eighteen to thirty holiday, isn't it? Yeah. But also, what's kind of interesting, I think, juxtaposed with that is the sexual energy between Romeo and Mercutio, which. I I assume that's on purpose. I mean, Mercutio just oozes queer sexuality. He just oozes it and he's absolutely fabulous. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Although I stand by not having a fucking clue what the Queen Mab speech is about, no matter how many times I watch it, I'm like, is he supposed to have taken drugs at this point? He just goes off on one. I don't understand. But having read Romeo and Juliet, didn't understand it when I read it either. But yeah, he oozes the only non-heterosexual energy in this whole film I think but almost enough to cover for the fact that it is so heterosexual everywhere else but I think that Lerman implies isn't Tybalt like when when that death scene isn't Tybalt basically being like oh yeah but you fancy him don't you and he's like really what say that to my face kind of thing and it gets a bit leery isn't that kind of what's happening there maybe Mercutio has the hots for Romeo or has I a little extra I think that's implied there. there's a sense of film. jealousy I would, yeah, yeah I, I guess so yeah yeah. I always thought it was just jealousy because he's not got his time and they've like grown up together and hung out together but that might be an added frisson that Lerman's put in there I discovered a thread last night by Rachel Handler for Vulture on Twitter. This was last year. They did like a re-watching of it and she sort of live tweeted watching it. And it is very, very, very funny and I want everyone to read it who's watched this film because I enjoyed it very much. She starts with, Shakespeare really said, fuck a spoiler, and it just gets better and better and better. <laughs> uh, uh, and she ends with, as in 2020, everything in Romeo and Juliet hinges on the functioning of the post so I, I enjoyed this thread very much. <laughs> anyway, she's like done little interviews with Harold Perignot, who played Mercutio throughout, 
and drawn upon his answers to it. And he sort of says, well, I kind of think maybe it is implied a bit, but also there is that sort of thing between young men where they are a bit like that, where they, like, they are kind of, oh, I wish I could find his actual words. I wish I had actually made a note of his actual words because he put it so much better than I can. But basically, he was sort of a bit like how that kind of love and fraternity and jealousy does sometimes come across a little bit like romantic love. I think which, that's that's yeah. teenagers, isn't it? Teenage girls exactly. have a similar thing. So, yeah, I'm not sure because I think by if he does add that aspect in, it would be one-sided because Romeo is so taken with Juliet. That's the whole yeah. point, right? Because, oh, no, uh, I mean, he's seen her for three minutes and decided he's yeah. in love. I mean, it's yeah. this isn't obviously a quibble with Lerman, so it's not with the film, but fucking hell, Shakespeare, come on. <laughs> I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, oh, my gosh, it's so sweet. They've fallen in love just like that. Love at first sight, how beautiful. They've got Desiree playing in the background. It's amazing. <laughs> and now I'm watching it like, good God, really? <laughs> but again, totally not down to Lerman, but it's just amazing the different perspectives. <laughs> that fish tank scene is still fucking gorgeous and you do believe that that it's so swoony and that they do like they meet eyes and and it's so playful and yeah i still love it still made me a bit like it is iconic i love it i just laugh now when i watch it sometimes though (laughs) i'm like this wouldn't happen in real life or maybe it would what do i know As a kid, it did really strike me. I mean, this was, well, I watched, watched it in the early noughties, but having Harold Perrineau there, having a black main character in a Shakespeare adaptation, it was really refreshing. Mm. So I, I think that's that's something that I just picked up on as a kid. Now I would expect a bit more of a mix, obviously, mm. but at the time... I remember thinking, oh, cool, wow, we're in this. We can be in these kinds of adaptations because we've never had that before. I do think mm. like you don't want people to relate to it because it's fucking horrible. Please don't fall in love at first sight. It's nonsense. And also <laughs> stop fighting over nothing, you twat. But at the same time, there's loads to relate to, particularly at the age that we all watched it when you're a teenager and you're trying to find your place in the world. And you do think that love is everything or like that a friendship breaking up is everything. Everything feels larger than life. And this is such a larger than life film. Yeah, I think he does that really well. And I think that's, yeah, completely intentional to sort of capture that larger than life mm. feeling, as you say, that that it, all that stuff is, yeah, absolutely everything when you're that age. So, of course, and I, th- I think he does a really good job of that. Agreed. Do you want to talk about the soundtrack? Because the soundtrack is... Banging. Fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, just before we talk about this, and it's kind of related, Yosra, obviously you're a bit younger. Are you early 30s? Yeah, I am. 31. So you're early 30. So you actually watched this at the same sort of age Jen first saw it, but a few years after it came out. Am I right? Mm. Yeah. So the soundtrack, I think what happened for Jen and I with the soundtrack was not only did we watch the film, but it was everywhere. Like it was Mm. everywhere. It was at weddings. The cardigans. It was everywhere. And as a huge Radiohead fan, that was catnip for me as well. With it being in the past for you, did the soundtrack still have quite a big impact? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love the Kissing You Does Ray song, and I think that's really fitting for that aquarium scene. I think it's beautiful. She wrote it specifically for the film. 
and it's brilliant. Mm. And the other songs, you know, Cardigans, Radiohead, they're, they're all quite, they're well-known songs. They're um, quite iconic. So they didn't strike me as being, I don't know, a bit older. They seem to just perfectly fit the, the general atmosphere of the film. And mm. I also shout out to, I don't know who the little boy is that sings When Quentin Doves Cry. Quentin is Quentin his name. Yeah. He's incredible. Brilliant arrangements, like just wonderfully done. So I, I could still, have, and you know, those songs are even older. So I think it didn't really strike me. It all just seemed to fit in place. It sort of sounds less soundtrack and more excellent Spotify playlist or like a mixtape that you would love to receive. And I think that's why it works because it's it, the soundtrack itself is a love story to the film. And I think if you talk about, you know, this is for the MTV generation, then that music, we were all so passionate about it and music really, you know, we loved music videos. No one watches music videos anymore, but at the time, everyone watched music videos. Mm-hmm. So that feel, it just goes hand in hand with the music that was was chosen. And also, can I just tell all of the films to stop trying to use exit music for a film by Radiohead in your films? It's been done. It's been done enough. And this one absolutely pips it. Just leave it alone now. <laughs> can I tell you a fact? Yes, please. That is nothing to do with anything we've just been talking about, but I thought was quite interesting when I discovered it last night. So in the scene where there's the big fight and, um, uh, spoiler alert, Mikusio doesn't make it, guys. Um there were these big black clouds looming over the beach, which I always thought were just post-production, whatever. Yeah. In fact, that is an impending hurricane. And oh, Lerman really? was like, no, 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 we'll, we'll shoot now. We're doing it. We're doing it. And that hurricane ended up destroying the set. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's an excellent fact, although obviously horrible at the time, I imagine. I'd be quite terrifying, I would have thought. Mm. It certainly does look windy in those scenes. So, <laughs> really, um, I yeah. absolutely assumed it was CGI, yeah, totally. Because it looks unreal, doesn't it? And there's a yeah. huge amount of special effects crews who get a mm. shout out at the end as well. So I kind of thought, well, that seems to be what the special effect would be for. Can I ask a question, Jen? Because sure. you sort of mentioned it in your bit about why you love it. And I think it's really interesting. And you said maybe the first time you watched it, you, a lot of the language went over your head. You didn't necessarily understand. And I wondered how you both felt about the language on a rewatch and whether you find your ear tuned into the Shakespeare. So when I was at school, I really, really, really did not get on with Shakespeare at all. I found it quite hard to get my head around the meaning do. of it. Yeah, I, but it was kind of like, it was a bit weird because I was good at English and I understood like all of the books we read and whatever. And obviously it's a completely different language than anything modern that we would have studied. But it used to piss me off that I couldn't understand it because I could understand words fine. Because I could do words good. I could do words good. But like, I never really got to grips with it particularly well. I wouldn't say I enjoyed Shakespeare particularly a lot of it is like plot wise just fucking silly etc etc but watching it again I found that the language was really secondary actually I, I felt like I almost didn't need to even pay much attention to it at all partly because obviously I've watched it so many times I know the story etc etc but also just because visually there's so much going on mm-hmm. yeah I found it really secondary interesting Yosra 
I think as I studied it at school, I mean, we did Shakespeare to absolute death at my school. <laughs> every like, So much Shakespeare every year. And this is one of the ones that you don't just read it. You go into so much detail. So a lot of the language from Romeo and Juliet has always sort of been ingrained in my head, which I think means when I watched the film for the first time even, I was okay with it because I'd studied the whole text in my class and we'd just gone over singular sentences again and again and again so I think that's why my experience was a little bit different but I do agree with Jen and and I I do think that you actually don't need to understand all the language at all to watch this film because there's so much that comes through from the performances and the music and everything else that is on screen that it's okay to just kind of look over some of the language I mean some bits will stick out but not necessarily having to understand everything And I think you have just encapsulated the pair of you why some Shakespeare fans love this and some Shakespeare fans hate this. Yeah. So guys, has this been a success or not? Yay or nay, as Shakespeare didn't say ever. Yes. Yay. It was fun to watch it again for me. It is flawed and I think the criticism of it as an extended music video sort of stands, but I don't give a shit. I had a lovely time. Yeah, I agree. The, yeah, it, it feels different watching it again now, as you would expect anything to that you watch after you're not, you know, you loved it as a teenager. You would probably expect to feel a bit different about it now. But I did enjoy watching it very much. Yeah. I think nostalgia for William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, as demonstrated by Baz Luhrmann, kind of undoes the pain memories of studying Shakespeare, right? Absolutely. No. Don't <laughs> <laughs> still traumatised. Still traumatised. So, next flicking is my pick. And I'm excited, Joss, because I found something where I think there are some very strong female characters. Because obviously I'm usually a fucking wang fest. But (laughs) you, me and Hannah are going to be watching Jurassic Park. (gasps) I haven't watched it in ages, so that'll be good. Standard issue for all women.